is it you haven't seen the god song psycho? Bro, you have seen Taxi Driver. Why haven't you seen Mad Max? Hello and welcome to another episode of FilmWise, also known as the Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. I am Bubba Wheat from Flights, Tight and Movie Nights, and today my guest is Shane Young from the cinematic Cats and Jammer. How are you doing today? Good, how are you Bubba Wheat? I'm doing pretty good. Um, now before we get into the uh, two movies that we'll be talking about today, why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about yourself, where they can find you online. Oh, you can find me over at the Cinematic Cats and Jammer or Cinecats. Um, you may find me also as Shane McFilm if you look for me on Facebook. Um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it for now. All right. And, uh, um, and what kind of articles do you usually write over there at the Cinematic Cats and Jammer? Because I know that they've, they cover a lot of stuff that's film related from news and, and lists and reviews. I was set up to be um, mainly just writing news articles, but I've kind of switched more to writing reviews. And right now we're working on something called uh, Profiles in Horror. So every day in October, we're doing like almost like a baseball card um, type of profile for different horror characters. And uh, right now I've done like Chucky and Pinhead. Nice. That sounds like fun. Yeah. And and it's definitely like it's something that helps spark the creativity too. (laughs) All right. And, uh, as always, I've got some questions here for you to get to know your movie taste a little bit better. So what are three movies that you've seen the most often and haven't gotten tired of yet? Okay, um, I definitely I like to laugh, and I probably don't have the most uh, uh, you know, eclectic taste in movies, but uh, my number one is, is Dumb and Dumber. I can watch that <laughs> and still laugh out loud every single time. Um, nice. Are you looking forward to the sequel? Not really. I'm sure <laughs> I'll be disappointed, but <laughs> I'll still watch it, though. <clears throat> and then my second movie is uh, probably Wreck-It Ralph. Um, nice. I love that yeah, movie. I watch, it, I watch it with my kids, and we watch it over and over, and I still find new things that I love about it. And then my third one is Elf. I can watch Elf over and over and over again, and Will Ferrell. It doesn't even have to be Christmas. Will Ferrell is amazing in it. And I know the end of it kind of tapers off a little but i still love that movie yeah that's I, i'm not a huge fan of, of a lot of christmas movies but that one is a lot of fun and and it's one of the the handful that that i really enjoy watching yeah and the thing about will ferrell is he kind of just i mean you can hate the guy or whatever but he just throws himself into that character and i don't think it would have worked with anyone else yeah i, I can't imagine and anybody else uh and this day and age playing that character. Yeah. Uh, I, and so what is your favorite movie that you've only seen once? Um, I've heard you actually talk about this movie a lot. And I, I, I thought about this question and I'm going to go with Goldfinger because when I saw that movie recently, actually, I, it just blew me away. And also um funny thing is that Austin Powers made so much more sense once I saw that movie. <laughs> I had seen all all three of the Austin Power movies, having only ever seen one James Bond movie before that one, and uh, I I thought it was I thought it was just a really crazy coincidence that I happened to post that uh, that Goldfinger episode of FilmWise on the fiftieth um, anniversary of its theatrical release. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I've up to that point I barely saw any. Um 
Bond movies. It just wasn't something that I watched. And the... since then, I've, I've caught up on a few, but Goldfinger is definitely my favorite by far. Yeah, it's it really does have a lot of the the classic Bond moments in there that that are things that really made Bond what he is today, and yeah, it was definitely. and it was great to see the the origin of that. And of course, I ask everybody, what is your favorite superhero movie? Mine is the Avengers. I know it's not very, uh, <laughs> it's I know it's kind of boring, but you know, whenever I was a kid the Infinity Gauntlet series of comics was coming out. And I just remember that um, seeing all those superheroes come together. And I thought to myself, like, this is amazing. I can't believe that they're doing this. And then it was kind of like the same feeling I got when I saw the Avengers. And then when I saw the Hulk brought to life, you know, I know that it has problems, but I still love that movie so much. Yeah, that's that's one movie. And uh, we'll kind of get into this. A little bit whenever we talk about The Dark Knight Rises, but the, because those two movies are compared quite a bit and where they both probably have about the same amount of plot holes, but it's generally easier to accept them in The Avengers than it is in The Dark Knight Rises just because of, of the difference in tone of the two movies. Right. Um, and then if you were to write a blog on a uh, narrow niche of movies, like superhero movies or disaster movies or movies with a robot in them, uh, what would that be? <laughs> I I actually thought of this, and I, I seriously considered this. So, you know, if anyone steals it out there. Um, but one of my favorite things, or one of the things like I love about horror that scared the hell out of me whenever I was a kid is that... Um, this one scene in Halloween, the very first Halloween, when Mike Myers is kind of standing there and there's like a clothesline and it kind of lifts and you see him and then he, you see him again and or it kind of lifts up again and then he's gone. So I kind of was thinking of doing a behind the clothesline type of um, horror blog where, you know, movies that have a similar scene to that sounded a lot better in my head than it does when I say it out loud. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah that's... I don't know. That's uh, that's an interesting choice, and uh, I I think you're safe in uh, that nobody else is going to take that idea away from you. I'm pretty sure. I think it would end after maybe like four or five postings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then finally, what is your biggest film-wise right now, a uh, film that you haven't seen yet that you feel like you really should have gotten around to at this point? Well, I mean... Since I saw The Dark Knight Rises, I had to watch The Dark Knight, so you kind of took those away from me. So <laughs> I guess I'm left with, uh, really, Casablanca is probably the biggest film that I haven't seen. And even though it's 72 years old, it's still a, a classic that I guess every film lover should see. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think so. There, for, as far as the classic movie goes, I, I think there's always two big ones, and that's uh, Citizen Kane and Casablanca. And of the two, I, I definitely think that Casablanca is the more um, more of a crowd pleaser. I, I think it holds up as an enjoyable movie uh, more than Citizen Kane does, where Citizen Kane has a ton of just revolutionary filmmaking techniques, but uh, the the story itself is hit or miss, depending on who it is. But I think almost everybody can watch Casablanca and fall in love with it. Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, good to hear a little bit about more about your film tastes. And uh, 
So we are going to talk about the film that you had me watch for the first time before we get into the final uh, installment of the Dark Knight trilogy, and that is Mad Max. Did they kill him? I'm not sure. People don't believe in heroes anymore. Why didn't you just kill me? We know who you are! Tonight, Ryder. Remember him when you look at the night sky. My mother warned me about getting into cars with strange men. All right, so Mad Max is from 1979, the year that I was born. And uh, it stars Mel Gibson in his first role, I believe. And um, <clears throat> it's in a post-apocalyptic future or kind of like dystopian type of future. Um, but in this one, everything hasn't quite gone away yet. Like there's still towns and things like that. Um, and there's biker gangs taking over the the Australian uh, land. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, they're the police are trying to stop them. And that's where Mad Max comes in. Um, I'm not really sure. What did you think of this movie? <laughs> well, it's, um, but before I get into what I thought about the movie, I, I, I'll talk just a little bit about what I knew about this movie before I, before I watched it, because I mean, Mad Max, it's, uh, I think it's most well known for the later two movies than the first one. And I think pretty much everything that I did know about Mad Max came from those two movies where, um, it's like this desert wasteland and, uh, gasoline is a scarce commodity, but none of that's really comes into play here in the first movie where it's more of a, uh, a lot of car chases and, and not quite so much of a dystopia. It's a, it's a lot lower budget. And yeah. And I knew, or at least I, I thought like you did, that it's his first role. Although whenever I went to double-check myself, uh, he did have a few small roles before this. This is his first lead role in a movie. Oh, okay. Uh, or at, at the very least, um, it's his breakout role, I would say. Um, yeah. But, but then whenever I watched it that it does have a few things going for it. Like some of the, the car chases and, and car crashes are pretty impressive, uh, especially whenever you consider that this was done on a, a pretty small budget and it was filmed in Australia. So everyone has Australian accents, um, which it, I thought was interesting. I, afterwards, I looked up in the trivia and... Whenever this was first released in theaters in the U.S., they actually did an American dub. Even though they're speaking English, they thought that the Australian accents were too hard to understand. Yeah. And, and they did an, an American dub of it. And it wasn't yeah, and I, until later on that they released the uh, the original Australian accent track. Yeah, I think it was like in the 2000s, wasn't it? Yeah, I think uh, it said 2002. Yeah. Yeah, I remember it coming on TV with the with the overdub like that. Um, and they also released this after the Road Warrior in in America, right? Um, that I did not see in the trivia, so I it may or may not be true. Yeah, the um, the thing about this is like, 
I mean, I don't want to say that I straight up don't like this movie, but like, <laughs> it's um, I, the Road Warrior is such a good movie. It, it's far superior. The the villains are are better, and you know, um, but I mean, like you said, this has some good things going for it. And I liked, I liked a lot of the stuff, like um, like when it starts out, it says a few years from now, and then it just says. It has the road and it says Anarchy Road, which you know is like Anarchy Road. Um, mm-hmm. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, but there was stuff like I, I still was up in the air about what was actually going on at the beginning. Whenever it's starting out and they look like they're trying to snipe uh, these nude people running through the field or something, and <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what was going on there. Well, that, um, well, that scene, I, I was just assumed that 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 police officer was just using the sniper rifle as a telescope to spy on these these two people having sex in the open or just uh, being naked out out in in the field. Okay, that, I guess that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And then I I did um, after watching this because I I started it late at night and and I actually fell. Halfway through, and then I had to start it, or not start it over, but I had to backtrack about twenty minutes to the to the first part that I remembered to watch the the last half of the movie the next morning, and uh, and and that kind of goes along with with the pacing of the movie. It it is fairly slow paced for the most part, aside from the the couple of action sequences like the. The car chase at the beginning, and then I did go back and rewatch the car chase at the beginning, and I realized that I missed some of the dialogue because the um, it feels like the the sound quality isn't that great, and I wrote that down too, <laughs> <laughs> and and I can see. I can completely see why they decided to do a uh, an American accent dub over it because I I did have a little trouble with with the Australian accents here and there, especially some of their slang now, now and then, and uh, and it it did take me a, a second viewing to catch a, a lot more of the dialogue and, and exactly what they were saying, uh, especially in that first scene. And, and I also didn't exactly realize what was going on because apparently it was uh, Knight Rider is an escaped criminal and he stole a uh, one of the police vehicles. And so he's going for a ride in a police vehicle. And that's why they can hear him. Because I didn't understand at first why they oh. why they were able to hear him over the, the police radio. Okay, yeah, I didn't get that part either. But... I know he's explaining a lot of things. Like when I watched it the second time, I know he's actually saying a lot of the things that are happening. Like uh, he says his name, and then he says the toe cutter and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't realize it was a police uh, vehicle, though. Yeah, <laughs> which the the police quote unquote vehicles are are these like uh, just uh, these old chopper cars, like these hot rods that and. They just happen to have sirens in them, and there's like a little black box on the roof for their radio, and and that's about the only indicator that they are a police vehicle. And I think they they have interceptor written on them. Yeah, and they say pursuit on the back, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would definitely say that that the car chase scenes, and especially that first one in the beginning with the Night Rider. Because we get a lot of crashes and and there's some spectacular hits like the 
they they hit this old van which goes spinning like crazy and yeah and they uh, crash through a a uh, a tow trailer yeah and one of the ones that i liked uh, i don't remember when it was but um a motorcycle hits the guy in the head i thought that was pretty cool <laughs> oh yeah I, I remember seeing i didn't i happened to catch that i, I think the second time around and yeah it, um like there's the the crash or, or maybe i i did catch it the first time around but the i i noticed that like one of because I, yeah i think it was one of the biker gang guys they they uh, crashed their motorcycle and you can see like the people on spin tires and my first thought was you know i'm i'm sure based on the budget that that actually happened and, and that guy just got hit by the by the motorcycle's car tire in the helmet yeah i was thinking of that too <laughs> poor guy um and then um the other thing that I was reading on the Wikipedia page, and are we are we going into spoilers or do you yeah. care? Yeah, okay. um, I, I always think that it, if you're going to talk about a movie, you, you might as well talk about every aspect of it. Okay, um, this isn't quite a spoiler yet, I don't think, but that part where the toe cutter and his gang they go and they take the couple, and on the Wikipedia page it says that they rape the couple, and I was like. I totally didn't get that out of the movie at all, but I, I don't know if there's like a deleted scene that had that. I don't, I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I, I got that impression uh, based oh, really? on, okay. on what we see, especially because like whenever the, the police find them later, like the, the woman is, uh, she's not completely naked, but she's naked and has like a jacket over her and, and she's like chained to the car. Uh, yeah, I got. I, I figured that as just the guy was running with his pants down through the. Well, I guess that makes sense then. <laughs> <laughs> through the field, yeah. Right. Um, and then, uh, okay, and then we we go to the part where um, Goose, which was one of Mad Max's colleagues, I guess, uh, on the yeah, police force. I, I kind of got the impression, even though they didn't exactly ride in the same vehicle, that he was almost like his partner. Yeah, yeah, because that was his breaking point of wanting to leave the police force, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when, then, um, whenever Goose gets burned alive, which uh, uh, even though I haven't seen Top Gun, I, I get the feeling that it's not a good idea to uh, to be named Goose. <laughs> I know. There's a there's a lot of things like uh, from this movie that I saw. Um, not not necessarily the goose name, but there were a lot of things that you know I noticed in other movies that came later uh, that maybe ripped off pieces from this movie. But uh, I'll get into that once I get to the end. Um, so once Goose goes up in flames, that's when Mad Max wants to leave the police force. So then he takes his wife, um, was it his wife and child? He takes them mm-hmm. to some like remote uh, place by the beach in the woods or whatever, and then that's when the motorcycle game comes after them. Right. Um, Although they have been, they've been coming after him uh, ever since uh, because that that chase sequence in in the beginning. Right. Uh, okay. Knight Rider is one of the the members of this game and and gang, and he dies in in the car crash. Okay. Yeah. Because there's Sorry. that, which it, it's bizarre watching it because all of a sudden you see this car just going out of control with a uh, with a rocket on its back <laughs> on the back yeah and uh, yeah. and apparently at least according to the trivia the 
the car was supposed to, the rocket was supposed to launch it into the truck and, and, uh, trigger an explosion. But instead it, it went out of control and went around the tanker. But I guess, I don't know, they only had one rocket or, or they just dis- decided to use that take instead. Oh, okay. Yeah, the the IMDb trivia for this is kind of amazing because it has a whole bunch of stuff, uh, cool little tidbits like that. Um, okay, so then, so then, yeah, the gang. Sorry about leaving out all the details, but the gang is <laughs> in pursuit of Mad Max, um, and then that's when he's trying to get away with his wife um, while he thinks about leaving the police force or whatever. So uh, then, this is when the movie actually gets pretty good, I think. Um, well, after these events, but. He, once they get there, and then, I don't know, does Mad Max leave them and go back into the woods, and he leaves his wife to go back up to the house, or something? Um, I, I see that. Well, they're, they're together at the house, and then she, like, goes off for a walk in the woods, um, which I, I guess we skipped a little bit before that, there's, um... Because they they think that they more or less have lost the biker gang uh, since they're going off towards this place, and then and they stop because they have to get their tire fixed. Right. Uh, and then she goes off on her own with the baby to get some ice cream, and then she has a run in with the gang and manages to fend them off and come back, and that's whenever they they flee to this cabin. Um, okay. And then. I guess they think that they lost them once again, and she goes just goes for a walk in the woods while he's fixing the car, working on the car, and uh, she hears something or sees them, and so she comes back, and then he goes in the woods to look for them, and then they get her at the house. Yeah, and that's where I'm like, how many movies have told you not to leave your family and go, you know, go into the woods or whatever? But, uh, and and that's know. where they that's where they get that's where they end up getting the baby, which that's I think that's one of my biggest issues with this movie, because through the entire movie the baby just feels like a prop to me. Yeah, it, it does not feel like this couple really cares about the about their baby because the, you get a scene at the beginning, um, whenever you see them with with the family and and the the. Max and his wife are, are talking. They're they're just kind of having a conversation, and, and the baby's off playing in the middle of the room. And then it cuts back to the baby, and you see that the play that the baby's playing with uh, a pistol. Oh yeah, yeah. And 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 then back going back to this scene, like they're worried about the this biker gang coming after them, but they just leave the baby playing alone on on a blanket in the middle of the the field. Exactly. Um, and it's like 20 minutes later and they're like, oh yeah, the baby. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then that's when basically all hell breaks loose. Um, mm-hmm. and I think I, for a lot of people that's, that's kind of where the movie really starts because I, I don't, I've never really heard, uh, one way or the other, if this movie's considered a, a revenge movie. Um, but then whenever I was watching this, it feels like it's a revenge movie, but the revenge only takes place in the last 20 minutes of the film. Exactly. Yeah. Um, because at this point, the biker gang, the, the wife and there was an old woman with a shotgun at the house. They get into the van. That's not quite repaired. Take off. 
it breaks down down the road and then that's when the biker gang basically just runs them over and this is what i have to say about george miller is he really wanted to run over a kid in this movie because <laughs> at the beginning you know he's like foreshadowing it there's the lady with the stroller they barely miss the baby. Then the two, I think, cars go past the one kid, and yeah. you see him in the background still running. And then, you know, eventually the biker gang runs over <laughs> Mad Max's son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's <clears throat> yeah. There, there's a lot of those near misses at the beginning, uh, like you said. And... <laughs> yeah, and that's something that, like, in the night, in the '80s and '90s, like, I remember action films that. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if it's not something that you see a lot, but I seem to remember a lot of kids being run over and a lot of rape stuff. It was like I don't know why that was really big or whatever, but yeah, it seems like the the quickest way for you to understand that that the villain of the movie is a villain is to have them kill a kid or or rape a woman. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, so then that that's it. This this pretty much brings us up to where Mad Max is now where he's like lost everything. Um, and then he goes after the, the gang one by the rest of the gang one by one. Yeah. Although he, he managed, it seems like he gets chunks of them at a time towards the beginning, just like running them off the road and, and yeah. Yeah. And things like that. And then you get him, and then he comes down to the last three, the uh, toe cutter, um, uh, Johnny, the Johnny, the boy, and then the uh, the other lieutenant guy whose name I don't remember. Um, yeah, I forgot it too. I want to say it's like Bruno, but I can't remember. Yeah, and you know, I, I wanted to. I did want to bring up a, a couple other things that I I just thought were really funny in, in this movie that that may or may not um, or supposed to be funny, but like the the moment where the the old the old woman comes out with the shotgun and then toe cutter just goes way over the top and he's like i hate guns <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i i could not tell if that was him supposedly being sarcastic because at this point i i don't think we actually do see any of the gang members with guns yeah, I don't think so either. Or if he is be actually being serious, because <laughs> it's uh, we we really only see the police officers that have guns, and and the uh, the biker gang just has like bats and chains and and things like that. Yeah, and and then um, <laughs> and then at the end, you know, whenever he um, oh, I guess we'll go into spoilers, but when he finishes off Johnny the boy, the the last of the guys. But he doesn't necessarily finish him off. He gives him the choice of uh, there's a, yeah. there's like a leaking fuel. Um, yeah, it, it goes into uh, it goes into the uh, the saw dilemma. And and that, that was what I was gonna say is that definitely Saul definitely copied that or or you know someone had um, seen this movie. <laughs> yeah, um, which I I thought that was that was a great moment because I love those like just moments where. You get to see Max being like this badass, but he he's also kind of smart with it where he sets – it's almost like he sets this trap, even though most of it just happens to be sitting there ready for him. But it's like just – it's not quite as an elaborate as the saw traps, but it's along those lines that he just happens to – the 
put this ball, put this broken headlight lamp um, to where it's filling up with gas, and then once it spills over, it'll run and um, into a lit lighter and make it explode. Yeah. While Johnny the boy has has the uh, the saw choice of whether or not he wants to try to saw through the the handcuffs, which will take a long time, or if he wants to saw through his leg, which will take much less time. And we don't know if he... And it appears like he he chose uh, neither choice, because he just kind of is screaming there. And then we see the explosion off in the distance, and we don't know his fate for sure one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, and I kind of wrote at the end, I'm like, um, (laughs) do you think that there's hope in there somewhere? And I have to say that it kind of leaves you with none. I mean, as he's walking away, it's kind of like, no, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, and one of the reasons why he was leaving the police force to begin with was because he was worried that he was going to become just as bad as the criminals that he chases. And that ends up pretty much being what does happen to him. Yeah, and have you... Have you seen? I know we spent a lot of time on this movie, but um, have you seen the Road Warrior or or the Mad Max and the Thun- Beyond the Thunderdome? Um, I haven't seen them. Um, I've I'm sure I've seen clips uh, of them. Uh, I've, I've I might have seen uh, kind of bigger chunks, but it was whenever I was pretty young, so I I don't really remember um, any specifics. I just kind of remember the mood and and they are pretty famous, so like I know of them. Um, and even though I wasn't completely uh, hot with this movie, I I definitely do want to go and check out uh, the Road Warrior at least. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is is that's why I chose this one because I'm like I I would rather you see this before you see the Road Warrior, but I also didn't want to leave like a bad. Not that this <laughs> is a bad movie, but I just um, you know I just feel like like you probably should have saw seen this before you see the Road Warrior. Yeah, and and I agree. It's it's not a bad movie, but it's not a great movie either. It's it it seems like it's one that really sets that really paves the way for what the Road Warrior, as far as I imagine, will become. Yeah, definitely. And then and one last thing that I want to mention before we move on to the Dark Knight Rises, and that is the the other thing that really made me laugh, which they used twice. Uh, in the movie, and that's right before somebody gets hit with a uh, a bigger vehicle. It has this like one second flash to this uh, um, to this prosthetic with the extremely bug eyes. Oh yeah, I did see that. Yeah, <laughs> and I just thought that was just so bizarre. It's like these you just get this split second shot of these impossibly bugged out eyes right before somebody gets hit with a car that you can tell, which I I didn't, I'm almost curious to go back and like freeze frame it, or I'm sure I can probably find a, uh, find a still of of that face somewhere on the internet. But that's just so, so bizarre and so silly looking, but I don't know. It's, it's just like a a touch that really kind of adds to the flavor of this movie. Yeah, and and it's like within a movie that's so bleak and so serious, you know, it, it's kind of out of place, but funny. Yeah. All right, well, we are going to take a quick break, and then whenever we come back, we're going to talk about the film that I had you watch for the first time, The Dark Knight Rises. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. 
Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. Hello, and I'm Nick. And I'm Joe. And I'm Vern. Together we host the As You Watch podcast. And drink beer? Vern! <laughs> We're a movie podcast, not a beer one. I know. I just enjoy having one when I'm talking with friends. And that's what the show feels like. Hanging out with your friends and talking about movies. So check us out on iTunes or on our website at asyouwatch.wordpress.com. Alright, The Dark Knight Rises came out in 2012, and it's the the ending of the Dark Knight trilogy by director Christopher Nolan, and it, it had a some big shoes to fill after following The Dark Knight, and it, it on top of that, it also came out in one of the biggest years at that time for superhero movies, because that's that was the same year that The Avengers came out, as well as The Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, uh, Nolan brought back most of his cast and, and also brought a uh, several of his cast members that he used in Inception with Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Marion Cotillard, as well as bringing in Anne Hathaway as as Catwoman. And it's it really ends the the Dark Knight trilogy in this just massive epic conclusion, but. Uh, it's one of those that that is often considered the weakest of the three because of some of the decisions that he made with with the character and with uh, some of the um, plot elements that that may be a little bit weaker but uh, I think it's still um, as far as the filmmaking goes it's still extremely well made and it it really grabs you and and sucks you in just like the other two of his movies but um what for your first time watching it what did you think about the dark knight rises and 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 actually before you get to that um you did say already that you watched the dark knight uh, did you watch it before or after watching the dark knight rises i watched it before um i so I had never seen the Dark Knight either, um, so I kind of got the pleasure of seeing both back to back, where most people probably didn't get to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty cool, but also kind of exhausting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so yes, I did see the Dark Knight also before I saw the Dark Knight Rises. Right, and and I, um, whenever I started this project, you were actually the first person to come on um, because you hadn't seen the Dark Knight or the Dark Knight Rises. But then whenever I was looking for two other people to fill out the trilogy, um, whenever I uh, talked with Elwood Jones, he had only not seen The Dark Knight out of the three. He had seen the the first and third one somehow. Um, but what what did you know about The Dark Knight Rises before, before you watched it? Well, I'm a huge um, movie and comic like fiend anyway so i kind of knew everything except for like the major spoilers um uh and i knew all the way going up to basically where we leave with joseph gordon levitt oh so 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 did you know about um whom um miranda tate actually was yeah i did yeah okay yeah because i i know that even whenever this movie came out that was a, a big thing in the news uh before before it came out to where uh, there was like a a uh, on-set photo of her wearing at her uh, like the 
her costume at the end where people were suspecting that she was Talia al Ghul already. Yeah. And then people had um, suspected that, you know, other characters would be in it and they were. And <laughs> like her father. Yeah. Which uh, I, I thought that, that that moment with uh, um, Liam Neeson coming back for that scene was, was a nice was a nice little touch. It, it, I think it came out in the right way, but um, overall, what did what did you think about the night, the Dark Knight Rises, compared, especially compared to the other two movies in the trilogy? Well, I think um, just for one, I felt like um, I felt like this movie just doesn't stand alone. You know, like it's it really relies on the first movie a lot, and um, maybe not so much the second movie. But that's the difference between the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. The Dark Knight could just be its own movie, and it's great. This movie. Um, it does have a lot of plot holes, and uh, I thought Bane is is pretty good, but I hate how he develops toward. Or actually, he I hate how his story unfolds towards the end, and he just kind of like falters, you know. Um, yeah, he just kind of peters out. Like he's he's set up to be this great mastermind, and then he ends up just getting shot by Catwoman. Yeah, because in the beginning, I I was actually saying. Man, Nolan really knows how to make villains. He really knows how to. And then toward the end, I was like, okay, well, that that was a real letdown. Because uh, yeah, because Cat. Well, before that though, once he sees Batman coming back, he sees the um, bat signal. It's like he's lost all of his confidence. And then when he fights Batman, Batman's basically beating him up. And then that's when Catwoman comes in and and shoots him. You know. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and on top of that, it's like. Uh, uh, Talia al Ghul just leaves him to die, pretty much. She's like, yeah. uh, I, I know that you've, uh, I know that you've protected me, and and I love you, but I, I'm, I'm gonna go. You're, you'll be okay, right? Yeah. See you later. <laughs> yeah. Um. I also hate it. <laughs> it, it. See, I saw Batman Begins back in the theater, so I didn't even remember this. I didn't. Um. It was, I, it was never even an issue with me. And as soon as I heard Bale's Bat voice, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I, I can't even take you seriously, and you know he's he's a good actor, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the, there there's definitely a couple moments that where the bat voice kind of falters for me, and and one even though I still love the joke, um, it's after um, him and Catwoman or fighting on the roof, and then and then they're talking, and then he turns around, and then whenever he turns back, she's gone, and he says. Well, that's how it feels. Yeah, yeah. But he says he's talking to himself in his bat voice. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the other one is um, whenever he's uh, trying to find the trigger and and like he's like, "Where's the trigger? Where's the trigger?" And it's it's just so loud and it's it's like the just one of the the things that's so easily parodied about this Batman. Yeah. No, yeah, and I've heard you talk about it before too, and yeah, I know it's it's a definite issue with a lot of people, but it is pretty horrible. <laughs> um, and then, what did you think? What do you think of that the last like bit of the whole movie, the the wrap up stuff? Um, well, I I don't know. I I still I still kind of like how this movie ends. I, yeah, uh, I, I a lot of people have issues with it, but. I, I think it's really it has a great setup uh, with Alfred talking about it at the beginning or or close to the beginning about how he would like to see 
basically Batman and his career. And that's, that is how it happened where he's like, um, ordering this, <laughs> this weird little, uh, fancy drink, uh, in a, in a highfalutin shot glass. Yeah. And, and he looks across the way and he, he sees Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle together at, at the table. And he just yeah, kind of yeah. raises his glass to them, and and that's and that's how that part ends. And and then we get to see Robin's coda. Yeah, and I thought the part with Alfred was probably my favorite part. Um, yeah, uh, watching it this time, it, it really made me uh, miss him whenever he leaves the the movie for like a good uh, two thirds of the movie or so. Yeah, at the end, I'm like, where's Alfred? Like, he's got to be somewhere, but, you know, they brought him back in to do that, which was more than acceptable. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I could have cared less about Jordan, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, though, or being Robin or any of that. Um, I mean, it's cool, but it's also kind of, I don't know, was it necessary? <laughs> yeah, I would say that even though I like him as an actor, and I think he, he does play the character well, I feel like it's... It's not a really good character. Um, I agree, yeah. Because he, he just gets some a lot of questionable scenes. And it's, it's this is one of the movies where it's like suddenly everybody knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. It's like Bane yeah. knows, Joseph Gordon-Levert knows because he looked into his eyes and, and he's like, that guy's hiding something just like I've been hiding something. So obviously that means that he's Batman. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. <laughs> and then he, there's another moment where, like, he's um, he's investigating and he, with the two guys with the cement trucks, and then he shoots a bullet which ricochets and, and kills the criminal. And then he like looks at his gun and just like tosses it away in disgust. Yeah, that that about jumped the shark right there. That was a little too much for me, <laughs> but you know. Yeah, it's it's just like one of those moments where I can see what they're going for. It's like that's that connects him to Batman to where Batman doesn't use guns and so we see Detective Blake isn't using guns or doesn't right. like guns even though like 15 minutes later he's brandishing a shotgun. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is it's definitely a film that you can pick apart and I know people have but it's for good reason. <clears throat> yeah, but I, I think um, aside from the plot holes, which which I do think detract from the movie, because especially on rewatches, whenever you can see them and you know they're coming, and it's like, oh, here we go. But it does have a lot of just really great moments uh, in between the plot holes, and I, I think those are still worth watching. Like the opening sequence with Bane and the plane. Oh, that that's yeah, I love that. That's awesome. That's that's just something that you can watch by itself over and over again and it's just so well done, it's so well paced and the fact that um I forget I can't remember if like uh nearly all of it was done practically, but I know a good chunk of it was done with without digital effects. Like a lot of that was done for real. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, and you can see that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you can. And and um, and I just love that whole thing. And you know how he tells the guy to stay um, behind. <laughs> and you know, I I just thought Bane was going to be this massive, amazing thing. And then 
he just it, it just didn't turn out that way. But I love the opening scene. I actually had to restart the movie somewhere, and and uh, it started at the beginning, and I'm like, well, I'll just watch this scene again. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can definitely see that. And then another another really great moment for me is the the first Bane and Batman fight down in the sewers. Uh, oh yes, yes. Because yeah, that, that was a great. I mean, it's it's just so brutal, and there's um, there's no score in that moment. It's just the two of them fighting, and you've got Bane's voice, which I, I think. Um, I think I have more respect for Bane's voice now than I did when I saw it in theaters, because even though it's it's probably the second most parodied thing about this about this movie, but it's still effective for the most yeah. part. And I have to say, I I personally think that Tom Hardy. I mean, it would have been weird for Tom Hardy to use his own voice, but then again, I guess like they say, anyone could have done that if they did the voiceover thing. But um, I. I think that Tom Hardy did a lot with a character that kind of was, there wasn't a lot to him, you know? I, I don't know. Like the yeah. Joker, the Joker was amazing because Heath Ledger took something that there was so much like history and, you know, everything with it that came along with it and he made it his own. But Tom Hardy kind of had a blank canvas as far as like the general audience was concerned. Yeah. I mean, I know that, I know that, that Bane does have a lot of, um, clout in the comic books yeah yeah but as far as the movies and and even to a lesser extent like the the animated series uh he's he comes off as more like a just a a beefed up uh luchador yeah and here he's really turned into something completely different and tom hardy does do amazing work uh, considering the fact that he doesn't have like Heath Ledger's ability because he doesn't like Heath Ledger has all these facial twitches and uh, he's able to do all this stuff with his hands and his gestures to where Tom Hardy's Bane he's got most of his face covered so he's really just has his eyes to work with and he he just moves with purpose throughout most of the movie and he he doesn't have a lot of these flourishes a lot of it is really moments where he's he's fairly still he he doesn't generally move around a lot yeah but his presence is always there yeah definitely and then what did you think of of catwoman and uh catwoman is still one of my favorite parts of this movie yeah, and I think she could have been used a lot more, but you know. yeah, I, I mean Anne Hathaway just nails it in in every scene that she's in. Like, it's so great how she's set up with her just like sly cat burglar at uh, Bruce, in Bruce Wayne's mansion, and then with her her double cross moment where she's selling off the fingerprints, and then like she just turns on an instant. To where she's uh, shooting, where she's shooting everybody with with this guy's gun using his hands, and then as soon as the police comes in, she cowers down and starts screaming for help, and then she walks out the door, and then it just instantly shuts it off. Yeah, I mean, I I, I thought that she did everything right, and you know, like I said, I mean, she was the one character that I really wish could have had a little bit more, maybe like the the Harvey Dent of this film. 
Yeah, and I also I love the the moment, like going back to that Bane and Batman fight in the sewers. How they how they cut back to Catwoman just uh, watching the fight from from behind the bars. Yeah, yeah, and I also liked when she was trying to escape, and you know she ends up she's all dressed up, but then you know she ends up fighting, and then she eventually gets caught. But yeah, yeah I, I thought I thought I thought she did everything right, and like I said, I wish there would have been a little bit more of her. Yeah, and, and I and I think that um, especially this version of Catwoman really does seem like who Bruce Wayne should end up with. Yes, I totally agree. All right, and then um, what did you think about Marion Cotillard as Miranda Tate slash Talia Al Ghul? <laughs> well, it kind of it kind of sucked that I actually knew that. Even though when I'm watching it, I'm still trying to tell myself that that's not going to happen, but it it did. Um, <laughs> I thought she was good. I, I mean, I guess it was necessary that Bat or Bruce Wayne kind of had to fall for her. Um, and then, you know, like you said, I mean, once she left Bane there, after I totally didn't see the thing with the kid being her. That was that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Um, the kid I, trying to escape from the prison. Yeah. Although the, I will say that. Um, but that's one of the things that, on rewatches, that bothers me a, a lot more because it's like uh, you watch it and you, it's like they are so sure that the kid is Bane. It's like no, the kid's not Bane. It's it's a uh, Talia Al Ghul. It's a girl. That okay? That I didn't understand. Like if the prisoners just didn't know, or if the prisoners were tricking him. I I wasn't sure about that part, but yeah, I, I think um, well, I don't know if they. Or specifically tricking him, or um, I don't know. I, it and, and yeah, I, I think it. Yeah, it feels like it's a filmmaking device because something that that I haven't talked about, um, but it's it's present with a lot with all three of these movies, where a, a big theme throughout the the characters in in Nolan's Batman is is all about misdirection. Um, yes. Like in Batman Begins, we get the the misdirection uh, with the uh, um, the agents in the sewers with the um, because the Scarecrow's working for the League of Shadows and he's misdirecting um, Carmine Falcone and it's um, and of course Ra's al Ghul himself is is misdirecting because he's uh, playing off as um, I forget his name, but the, the the guy they're playing off that Ken Watanabe is um, Ra's al Ghul when it's actually Liam Neeson, and then okay. and then in the Dark Knight you get I mean Joker is all about misdirection and it culminates in the fact that he tells Batman where um, the address to find Rachel. Uh, because he knows that that's who Batman is going to go after, but it turns out that uh, he switched it and he told Batman to go after Harvey Dent so that Rachel would die. And then in this movie, there's the misdirection where you think that, that Bane is behind everything when it's actually Miranda Tate as Talia al Ghul, who was the, the child in, that was born in the prison and is the child of Ra's al Ghul. Or Ra's al Ghul, as they pronounce it in this movie, in these movies. Yeah, and I liked her. I liked her much more than I like Maggie Gyllenhaal. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Take her any day over her. <clears throat> Although it's it's an, another one of those things where knowing who she is, whenever you get whenever it comes to the scene where they're at the mansion after Alfred's Alfred's left, and they apparently have sex, and it's like. <laughs> He's just, and then at the end, there's like a, a parody that I've seen that that goes to that saying scene where she reveals herself, and Batman just starts going, "No, we totally had sex. <laughs> you remember that, right?" That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, and um, and like even even though uh, another moment that I'm really not fond of is how all the police get trapped in the sewers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like, I, I mean, it's. I'm guessing that it's that Gotham's supposed to be like a uh, uh, a substitute for New York, and so it's like you've got this city the size of New York, and like they're they're sending them all to the island of Manhattan, so that you've got thousands of police going in the sewers of Manhattan, and then they're all trapped there except for a, a few dozen that that stayed behind. Right. Yeah, one thing I didn't like also is how much time elapsed between um, when Batman gets his back broken or whatever, and like uh, whenever is... he comes back, it's um, yeah. I believe it's about five months is what they say. Oh, does it say it in the movie? Did I miss that? Or yeah, that whenever they're talking about um, the the bomb and or the the nuclear core of the of the reactor. They say that it'll take about five months for it to, and it's great that they they say it'll take it'll take about five months. Um, or I, I think the Doctor Pavel says it like about six months, and then uh, Bane says uh, five months by my calculation. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And then they have, and yet they have this timer to where they know exactly when it's going to blow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, overall, I thought you know it was it was okay, but especially watching it back to back with the Dark Knight, it's um it's just a, a lesser film than that. Yeah, and I would even say that out of all three of them, it it is the weakest of the three because I, I yeah. think um, that that the first two, especially, uh, even though they might, I, I'm sure that they have their plot holes as well, but. They were their plot holes don't bother me as much as some of the plot holes in this movie do. Yeah, uh, and and another thing, like what, what did you think about the fact that uh, that Batman basically hold himself up for eight years uh, after the death of Rachel? Yeah, that was weird because you know Batman's gone, and so then obviously Bruce Wayne has to be the same way, just staying in his house, losing all his money. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of that. I don't know if that's how it is in the comics, but... No, I, I've, I don't know for sure, but I, I don't think any comics that I know of has Batman uh, being retired for eight years because his girlfriend died. The I, I believe that the, like, uh, the Dark Knight Returns, which this borrows some elements from, but he... Um, he retired because he got too old for it. Right, okay. Like, he was, um, I, I don't know, like, 50 or so, and then he he had been retired for, like, 10 years just because he was he felt like he was getting too old for it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then and then at one part when he's with Miranda Tate and he's I think they're looking at a picture of Rachel and then the next thing they're having sex. And <laughs> I was like, hey, he must not like her that much. <laughs> I don't know. Although that was after like I, I doubt that it had a lot to do with it, but that was also after Alfred left had left and, and he re- had revealed that uh that Rachel had chosen Harvey Dent over over Bruce. Oh yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and he Which, kept it from him for all those years. And then that's basically why they why he kicked Alfred out, right? Because he lied to him? No, um Alfred decided to leave from from what I can gather. Because Bruce is surprised that he's gone. Um because uh Lucius Fox comes by and he's like, You're answering the door yourself? Oh yeah. Okay. And and we don't know where Alfred went and it's I suppose it's also could be considered a, a bit of a plot convenience just to ha- not have Alfred be there during Gotham's occupation. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to say about The Dark Knight Rises before we wrap things up? Um, no, that's it. The only the only other thing that I that I wrote down is, you know, I said it just felt like everyone came to the party one too many times, you know, uh, didn't feel like everyone was ex- excited about it and rightfully so but that's it yeah um although one i did i did really enjoy the the very brief um scarecrow cameo okay yeah thanks for bringing that up because actually i saw the batman begins back in the theaters and i haven't seen it since then and um it it brought a connection back to that so <laughs> yeah there's nice. Yeah, there's that connection, and then there's, of course, the, the flashback whenever Bruce is in the prison, where it's the uh, um, him and the and the bat in the well, uh, oh, yeah. with his father saying, "Why do we Why do we fall? So we can learn to pick ourselves back up." Oh yeah, okay. All right. Well, um, I'd like to to thank you for uh, coming on and talking about Mad Max and The Dark Knight Rises, even even though. Neither one of us were completely gung ho about either movie. Um, <laughs> I think they were they were fun to talk about, and uh, and and while it, it is the weakest of the the Dark Knight trilogy, I I do think that there is enough in the Dark Knight Rises that it's still a very enjoyable watch. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. And uh, if you'd like to remind everybody where they can find you online. Yeah, you can find me at the Cinematic Cats and Jammer. It's cinecats.com, and um, that's pretty much it. All right, and as always, I am Bubba Wheat from Flights, Tights, and MovieNights.com. You can find me on Twitter at Bubba Wheat, and you can find this show on iTunes, Stitcher, and on Podomatic, where you can find the RSS feed if you listen to it through, uh, through other means. And if you'd like to know what two movies we'll be talking about on the next regular episode, go ahead and listen through to the mashup trailer. And next week, we are going to be back with a uh, a wrap-up of the Christopher Nolan trilogy, where hopefully I'll be able to get uh, all three of my guests back so we can uh, just talk briefly about the, uh, the Nolan trilogy as a whole. So until next time... See what's gonna happen before it happens. You'll be better than I am very soon. You're probably supposed to have a sense of humor.
see what's going to happen before it happens. Back. Section 5, more speed.